But I am pumped. I am pumped to be here, especially after that. Like, I, I got to work on that. People thought all week that I was, like, out of my mind because I'm like, the whole time, like, dun, 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 dun. That's what I listen to whenever I wake up in the morning. That's how I get my day started. People are like, how do you get up at 5.30 in the morning? I'm like, I listen to that. My wife hates me at 5.30 in the morning. That, that has nothing to do with anything. I am so excited to be here this morning. I'm Brantley Johnson, the executive pastor here at Momentum Church. Um, and, man, we're going through this series, uh, Paradigm. And I get all three weeks. So if you don't like me, go ahead and walk out the back door. Um, no, listen, I'm, I'm super, super excited about this idea of paradigm. And, you know, as Pastor Ross and I were talking about uh, some of the stuff that I was going to be covering throughout this sermon series, um, we realized that some of this kind of overlaps in thought and theory uh, with, with tales of ridiculous faith. And as we were talking about this idea, we were like, man, this is, this is crazy. But you know what? We really feel like God is leading us into this time where we have to focus in on our faith. We have to focus in on the stuff and, and how to get through because we're seeing a lot of crazy miracles happen. We're seeing a lot of signs and wonders happen. And we've got to learn how to handle that. We've got to learn how to deal with that whenever it happens and whenever it doesn't happen. And we got to learn how to practice some of that stuff. You know, throughout baseball, when I was growing up in, uh, in high school, um, you know, you'd hear practice. I, I play third base in, in baseball. That wasn't any good. But, um, I, so you'd always hear them yell out, keep your butt down, keep your butt down. All right? And what that means is, is whenever you go to get down, I can't do it in these tight jeans. All right, so whenever you go to get down, right, if you don't have your butt low to the ground, then whenever the ground ball's coming, the ball is going to go under your glove. And so you'd hear him say, keep your butt down, keep your butt down. Sometimes you'd hear him say, stay low, stay low, right? And, and it was just the reminder over and over again in practice. Listen, you got to do the things right in practice, got to do the things right in practice. And for us here at Momentum Church right now in this moment, this is practice. And so we're going into this series called Paradigm. And uh, man, it's going to be sick. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Paradigm. Paradigm. <laughs> that was funnier than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right, so my, uh, my aunt, um, my Aunt Judy, actually I call her Aunt Judy because I'm from the South. Um, not everybody says ain't, you know, it's just, it was one of those silly things. Um, so my Aunt Judy, she has a lake house up in South Carolina, and we went up there all the time. Uh, growing up. I say all the time, at least like three times a year. Uh, so we would go up there pretty consistently. And growing up, uh, and man, it's one of my favorite places in the world to go. I, I absolutely love Aunt Judy and her lake house. It's super peaceful. Uh, and we would go up. And uh, as I started getting older and, and I could drive, I started paying attention to the directions on how to get there because I'm thinking to myself, one day, I'm not going to have to just go with mom and dad. I'll be able to go by myself because I can drive. And so I started paying attention. It's pretty simple on how to get there. You know, 85 to the first exit in South Carolina, hang a left. And then you go down about 30 miles or so. And as you're driving, you'll see this hill uh, over to the right. And it looks like just like the side of it has just been completely cut out. And that's how I remembered how to get there. Um, and and it, was, it was plain as day to see how to get there. And so I drove up there one time by myself, super proud. And then I get married. And me and my wife don't like each other our first year of marriage. So 
Then I'm trying to give her these instructions. Uh, so anyway, so we're, we're driving, and we leave after work. All right, so now it's 7 o'clock in the evening, starting to get dark. We get up to South Carolina, and we're about an hour and a half into the trip. Now it's really dark, and now I'm telling her the critical, uh, the, the critical piece to getting to Aunt Judy's. All right, start looking for a hill with a cutout. I'm sorry, what? It's a hill, and it looks like it's been cut out. Look for the hill with the cutout in the dark. So we're driving, and we're driving, looking, and we're driving, looking for this hill to cut out, and it's two hours later, you know, and I start calling Aunt Judy, and back then, you know, we didn't have GPS on cell phones, all right, that, this was 10 years ago, the cell phones have come a long way, all right, well, I mean, the really expensive cell phones had GPS on them, but I'm cheap. And so we didn't have that. We had occasional access to internet where we could look up MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest? <laughs> now I'm on MapQuest with spotty service trying to find my way to the hill with the cutout to Aunt Judy's house, and I can't do it. We call her. We finally make it there. She, she tries to figure it out, and she, she navigates us back to where we're supposed to be. And so we end up getting there. Well, we come back through a couple days later on our way home, and I see this hill with the cutout, but it's completely covered now in vegetation, so it doesn't even look like a hill with a cutout. <laughs> right? The landscape changed. And, I, you know, I think a lot of times in our spiritual walk, especially as we start experiencing signs, wonders, miracles that are happening, a lot of times we can get our eyes focused on the landscape that is highly changeable instead of focusing our attention on the stuff that doesn't change. I just got really serious. <laughs> Listen, if y'all want, okay, so I'm, so we're, we're still new to some of this as a church, right? But it will help, Stephanie, you, will you agree with me on this? Like, as people start to say, like, amen, uh-huh, oh yeah, come on, say that, right? Th that helps us preach better. Hello. 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 It really does, because it lets us know that you're like, oh, man, that strikes a chord with me. I, I, get what he, I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. It's okay for you to say that. So if you're out there, and you're like, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to say, say this. Man, that was really good. I liked what you just said right there. Just say amen. It's <laughs> like, we get the point. It does help us, though. <laughs> it does help us up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Has anybody ever given instructions based off of landmarks and stuff, though? Yes, all of us. We're in the South. That's how we do it. This is, this is a real, this was a real call given out by a dispatcher to the police. All right, I heard this. This was real. All right, so a police officer is responding to a call, and the dispatcher says, okay, you have to take a left at the fork in the road that has a washing machine at it. <laughs> That's a true story. Like, what happens if they decided, you know what, Velma, that just sounded like a good name, Velma, you know, that washing machine's been there for eight years, we probably ought to move that this week. That police officer is not getting to that call, all right? But, but you know, where I'm going with this, 
we got to focus our attention on the things that don't change. Like the, the, we, Whenever we focus our attention on things that change constantly, how are we ever going to understand whenever it does change? How are we going to spiritually be able to navigate through our walk with Jesus if we're always focused on the things that might not be the same tomorrow? Now, somebody's going to go, well, I serve an unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes, he is, but some of the stuff that he does is not. Thank you. (laughs) Hallelujah. This sermon's about to get really good. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have so much fun. Okay, here we go. So since we're, since we're having fun, let's talk about human sacrifice. Let's go to Judges. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. Judges. Let's go to Judges, uh, if I can find it. It's in the Old Testament, past Joshua, Judges. Here we go. <clears throat> Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Here we go. We're going to start out in verse uh, 30. Verse 30. Jephthah. That's a fun name. Made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from a roar to the entrance of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Kerimim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold his daughter. Mm. Behold his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. And you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Down to verse 39. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made. Did y'all know there was human sacrifice in Scripture? I got to be honest. Like, I read that just in my quiet time, and I was thinking, what the heck, man? Like, God, why would, you let, why would you let there be human sacrifice? Why would you let this guy sacrifice his only daughter? Why would you, anybody, why would you have him sacrifice his child? You would never ask him to do that, would you? You would never expect that, would you? And I was like, God, why, why was this okay? Why did you think this was okay, God? Anybody asked that question before? Man, sometimes we just don't get it. Why is this okay, God? And then God said, okay. You say that I wouldn't ask anybody to sacrifice their child. Why don't you go back to Genesis? And here's what ends up happening, okay? See, all all throughout um, Jewish history, rabbis, this is how they would teach. This was their their teaching method. Because I just didn't understand. God, it judges. 11, 
like, okay, let's just say for a second that this didn't please you, okay? Let's say that, let's say for a second this didn't actually honor you and that Jephthah somehow got this wrong. Why would you put this in Scripture for us to actually learn about? And very little in Scripture is ever done by accident, right? In fact, I'd probably say nothing in Scripture is by accident. So, if I believe this as a Christian, how do, how do I reconcile what has happened that I've just read that doesn't make any sense? This doesn't match up with the God that I believe in. And he says, well, you have to compare it to understand the deeper truth. Let's go to Genesis. Put that up on the screen for me, please. Genesis 22, verse 5. That's where we're going to start. All right, so this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, Early on in, in the story, for those of you who may not know, uh, God calls to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. And I read that first line, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the God that, that I thought that I knew actually would require this. Let's keep reading, though. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I am the lad, that's his son, just in case you didn't understand what lad was. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, what I find interesting about this, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and so that I don't leave you hanging on the side of a cliff here. Um, right, so he doesn't end up sacrificing his son. Angel of the Lord comes and says, stop. He's, he's, he's right about, he's got the knife raised. He's about to sacrifice his son. And he says, stop. Don't sacrifice your son. And then he looks over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And he's able to sacrifice the ram in the place of his son. So he, he doesn't actually end up having to sacrifice his child. Can you put that back up there for me? I want to look at a couple things. All right, so check this out. So I start, I start looking at some of the comparison. All right, so number one comparison. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, right? So you have God over here, sacrifice your only child. Then you have Jephthah over here. It, it doesn't say that God asked that of him. Where did God ask him to sacrifice his only child? Where did it say that he should sacrifice any child? It didn't. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Then check out what Abraham says. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, I preached that, I don't know, a couple years ago. And, man, I saw that as just Abraham having hope. You know, just this hope that God wasn't actually going to require this. And I feel like I need to retract that because as I started studying this, the more I realized that, hmm, was it hope? Was he lying? Was he lying to those people whenever he said that we're going to go over there and come back? I don't think so. Then he, he if he's lying, he's, he's lying to his son too. Because his son asked, where's the wood or where's the lamb? He doesn't say God will provide a sacrifice, right? It's not like he's trying to be covert in his lie. No, he says God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. 
Abraham knew who God was, I think. I think Abraham had such a close relationship with who God is. I I think they, they talked on a daily basis, right? And because of that, he was able to look at his servants and say, no, dog, God's not going to call me to go sacrifice my child. You know why? Because I know who God is. And I'm going to go and I'm going to follow and do everything that God tells me to do. But I guarantee you, my God is not going to tell me to do this. He's, he's not going to carry this through. Whenever Isaac says, hey, where's the lamb? And he says, God's going to provide for us a lamb. And I think he's talking in confidence because of his relationship with God. And he's saying, Isaac, don't you worry about this. I know my God. My God's going to provide a lamb for us. And then they find the ram in the thicket. Man, so what's the difference here? Well, Jephthah, what he saw, because if you notice in Judges 11, you never see a response from God. You never see God's response. Right? Here's what happened. Jephthah had seen what God had done in the past. He had seen some of the stuff and the reactions. And so back then, to sacrifice wasn't, that's, that's normal for them to sacrifice animals, all of this business, right? And, and God, if you, if you ha- help us have victory, Lord, we'll sacrifice a thousand cattle to you, right? And then God would give them victory. They'd, they'd uh, sacrifice all these thousands of cattle, and, and it would be good, right? And God would honor that and bless that. And if they didn't follow through on their vow, well, now all of a sudden, God brings this judgment. He, 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 his anger burns against them. And so Jephthah had good intentions. Everybody say good intentions. His daughter had good intentions. Say good intentions. Because they said, God, we've seen that other people have made vows and that whenever you deliver, we're supposed to deliver on our end. And so he says, I've made a vow to God. I have to keep it. But the, the difference is, is that he didn't have that close relationship with God to know, yeah, man, I know you, I know you said that you were going to sacrifice something. Not someone. You said whatever comes through the gates first. Not whoever. I'd never require that out of you. If you would spend time with me and understand who I am, you would know that I would never require that out of you. You never see God's response. On the one hand, you have someone who has seen the actions and the things of God. And so they respond based off of the things of God and try to do their best to figure it out. Man, I believe Jephthah was doing his best. His daughter was doing her best to try to figure it out because they were leaning into the things of God. But ultimately, it ended up with something that God never intended. Then you have Abraham who said, we're going to go over there and we're coming back. God is going to provide the lamb. And then me and my son are going to walk down this mountain together because I know my God. I've spent enough time with him to know what he has to say. Man, this, is, this thought is carried through into the New Testament. Let's go to John. This is carried through into the New Testament with Jesus. All right. John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him. 
because, everybody say because. Y'all are already reading that next line, aren't you? They saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Like We like to think that large crowds followed Jesus just because they were like, oh, it's the Son of God, we got to go follow him. No. No. They didn't say, no, that's not what it says. It said they, they followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? You think that Jesus didn't know why they were following him? Man, that's what I love about Jesus. That's what I love about our God. Jesus knew why they were following him. They knew they were, that, that they were following him because of the signs that he could do, because of the miracles that he was performing, not because they actually believed in he, that he was the son of God. And yet he saw them and felt compassion and said, I get it. You're doing your best. You're following me, but it's all wrong. I'm still going to take care of you, though. Then Jesus goes on in verse 27, and he starts talking about, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do? so that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. He's talking about himself there. In whom God has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? Like I almost imagine Jesus in that moment like, I'm sorry, weren't you just on that mountain? Like, I just took a couple of loaves and a few fish, and boom, you got dinner for like probably close to 10,000 people, right? Because it was only counting men whenever they said 5,000. I don't know, 10,000 people. You saw, you've seen it. Like y'all were following me because of the signs, the stuff, the, 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 the miracles that I've done. You're asking, what do I do for a sign? What haven't I done for a sign? Oh, right, you're hungry again, and you want me to do the exact same thing again. I don't do the exact same thing every time. Let's go to the next one. Check this out. Next slide for me. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Oh, I'm sorry, you want me to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again for you and, and providing miracles because you didn't pack your dinner. <laughs> well, this is a difficult statement. Aren't you Uber Eats? <laughs> that was funny, that just happened. I've never used Uber Eats. Uh, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Did y'all know that? Like, I didn't know that for the longest time. I always thought about Jesus having 12 disciples. He had a lot more. He had a whole lot more. That In this verse, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, so you're not going to just keep doing signs and miracles all the time? All right, we're out. And he, he, he looked at everybody you know, and, and as he's capturing his disciples, bringing them in, he's like, all right, you're good enough to follow me. You can. 
Uh, you can, you're, you're good enough to follow me. You're good enough to follow me. I know that you've gone through some tragedy, but you're good enough to follow me. Um, you can, you can, oh yeah, definitely you. You can definitely be just like me as my disciple. And then they're like, okay, this is awesome. And now like we're seeing him do all these miracles and all this stuff is happening, right? Like people have taken communion with him a, a couple of times. They didn't call it communion. They called it Passover, but you know, they, they've been doing this with them. They're seeing all this cool stuff happen. And man, they're like, oh man, I serve the best rabbi. I serve the best rabbi, man. He's, he's doing this. He's doing that. People are all over talking about him, man. I'm in the number one church. This is awesome, man. It's so cool. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You serve the best rabbi because I thought that I was the Messiah. See, the problem is, is that we get so caught up in the idea of who has the most of whatever, the most stuff, the most signs, the most wonders, the most miracles, whatever it is. So we're all caught up in thinking, yeah, 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 Jesus, you're the best teacher. You're so awesome. I'm so excited that I'm one of your disciples because you're doing all this cool stuff. And he's like, whoa, 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 you're missing it, though, because... This stuff doesn't just, it's not like I'm just doing it because it's fun. I'm doing it because it has a purpose. It's pointing to who I am. Do you not see that? And he's like, oh, all these disciples. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought we were just having fun, you know, healing people and seeing cool stuff happen. And let's look at the pool of Bethesda, right? Oh, this one's hard. The Pool of Bethesda. We, do we know that story? So, Pool of Bethesda, you got a bunch of people laying around this, this, this pool, basically, that, that is of Bethesda. Um, and, so, you got these people that are all sick, lame, hurting, broken, right? You got a bunch of, I think there's five porticos around it. So quite a few people. We don't know exactly how many people were there. We know there's quite a few. My porch can hold about eight people. So I'm thinking it's a little bit bigger than that. All right. So maybe we're talking about, I don't know, like 50, 60, 70 people, something, maybe more, right? That'd be like, maybe like this section right here. Okay. All y'all are hurt. You're broken. You're lame. You can't walk. You have physical ailments. You have emotional ailments. All these people are laying out there. And, and, and people would wait and wait and wait for, for the waters to be stirred up. And, and whenever the waters would be stirred up once a year, the first person into the water was healed. And so then the living water comes. Hello. That was for you, Marvin. Hello. Then the living water comes, right? And... and he sees all these people, okay? He sees all these people. And can you imagine this for just a second? All these people have been laying there for who knows how long, waiting for the waters to be stirred, waiting for their miracle. And he finds one person that's been there for 38 years. He's like, all right, I see all of y'all. You. What's going on? So you've been waiting for a miracle for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? Okay. It's you today. It's you today. I see everybody else. Man, I see, I see the person up here that's like, 
wait, wait. It's my turn. It's my turn. Jesus could have walked over and just said, oh, y'all, get up. Everybody would have gotten up and gone home. But he's like, no, no, no. You're missing it. You're missing it because I'm not about just healing people. If I wanted to, I'd say, oh, y'all, get up. It's you today. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus knew that the best way to point people to who he was and who his nature is as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the living God, as the living water, in that one moment, it's you today. Man. What about whenever Jesus was in the boat and all the waves are, are crashing around him? He's asleep. Waves are crashing around him. Have y'all heard this story? Waves are crashing around him. All the disciples are on the boat with him, and, and they're freaking out. He's asleep. He's like, hey, wake me up when we get there. Right? Well, now all of a sudden they wake him up. And they're like, Jesus, we're perishing. And he's like, you have a little faith. Wind, waves, calm down. And it calms down. We all love that story, right? We love that story. Jesus is the peace in the middle of my storm. When things get hectic, he will calm my life down. And that's true. But have we ever thought about the fact that if Jesus really wanted to, he would have just prevented the storm from ever happening in the first place? What? All right, let's, let's close out with 1 Kings. I'm just going to read it from the screen. Too much, too much flipping with my thumb. 1 Kings 18. Check this out. Elijah has just called down fire from heaven. Okay? He's just called down fire from heaven. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that. All right? Just put all of his enemies to shame called down fire from heaven. Now he's telling King Ahab, uh, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Now they've been in drought for the past three years. In agriculture, that's bad. All right, so for three years, without any rain, I hear the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And Elijah said, go back seven times. Came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. Leave that up there for me, please. As I was reading through that, I was praying about it, and I was just like, God, you know, I don't understand. Like, Elijah he's probably going to be listed as one of the kings of faith, right? He knew that you were going to send rain. He just called down fire from heaven. He poured the water on the altar and all of that, and he prayed, and fire came down. Like, And then he tells King Ahab, God's going to deliver rain. Don't you think that Elijah knew that God was going to bring rain? Yeah? So I really like efficiency. So I don't understand why, if 
Elijah knew that, why did he keep telling the servant to go back and forth? Why didn't he just say, listen, Gehazi, I know that rain is about to come. All I need you to do is go over there and tell me whenever you see a cloud starting to form because it's going to happen, right? Elijah had a lot of faith. He could have done that. Why didn't he do that? And I started praying about it. I'm like, God, I don't understand that. And I really felt like God revealed to me, you know what? It's never about Elijah. It's about his servant. Because rabbis like to teach the people that they're around. And, and coming off of this great faith high that Gehazi got to be a part of, right? Gehazi was there. He saw it. He saw the miracle happen. He saw the water poured on. He knew the struggle. He knew all the Baal prophets. He watched it all happen. And then he watched this miracle happen right next to him. And now, Elijah's saying, go tell me what you see. There's rain coming. Go tell me what you see. I'm praying for it right now. Go tell me what you see. And he's like, I didn't see anything. All right, go again. Comes back. I didn't see anything. Go again. Comes back. I didn't see anything. Man, I almost feel like in that moment, Gehazi is starting to wear down, you know, and, and he's like, listen, Elijah, buddy, I saw the, I saw the altar light, light on fire, and, and I know that you really want rain to happen. I, I know that you want another miracle to happen. It's just not going to happen. You just got to come to grips with reality Man, I, I know you've seen stuff happen before. It's not happening today. I think in that moment, that's whenever Elijah was like, okay, now you understand. Now you're ready. Faith, man, it takes perseverance. You need to understand that in this moment, I know who God is. You need to understand, I know that what my God is capable of, and I know because I know who he is, that he's going to send rain. I need you to go back a seventh time. And you come back to the pool of Bethesda. God, it's my turn. I've been here for 13 years, maybe not 38 years, but I've been here for 13 years. I've been here for 46 years. I've been here, I've been here for just a couple of months. But God, I'm so tired of it. I can't keep doing this. I know I've prayed six times. I know I've prayed 70 times. I know I've prayed my entire life for things to change, and they're not changing. There's nothing. Good. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. Are you ready for your miracle? Some people have been ready for a long time. This message isn't a just come down and receive your miracle message. Man, God is fully capable, and he does it every day, delivering miracles. Man, we've seen miracles all over the place, but he doesn't do it the same way every single time. He doesn't do it when we want him to do it. Why? Because the miracles are not about the miracles. The miracles are about pointing to Jesus. They're about pointing to who God is, about pointing to his character and understanding. And it's whenever we lean into God and we lean into his understanding, whenever we lean into who he is, that's whenever we understand the stuff that's happening. 
you're longing for a miracle, I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep praying that fourth time, that fifth time, that sixth time, that seventh time. Whenever you go and you look and you say, oh my gosh, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand. It's, it's small, but there's a cloud there. And Elijah just says, let's go. That's our cue. That's our cue. Let's take it and run with it because here it comes. Here it comes, and then the clouds, the, the sky grew dark, clouds were forming everywhere, and then all of a sudden it's a downpour. Man, and I praise God for the downpours in our life where God just starts pouring out his blessings. And man, at Momentum Church, we are in a, we are in a season, in a flow of blessings, in a flow of miracles. But man, we've, we have laid hands on people and seen miracles. We have, we have had people raise their hands to receive miracles. We have had people take communion. We've been on phone calls with people that receive miracles. So well, I don't understand. Why isn't it just, I, I, I just, I'm just supposed to lay my hands. I need somebody to lay, my, lay their hands on me. I need someone to lay their hands on me. No, 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 no. I need to raise my hands. No, I need to take communion. No, I need to get a phone call from the pastor. No, 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 no. No, 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 it's, it's not about that. Because God does it differently every time. It's not about that. It's not about the miracle. It's about understanding who he is. It's about understanding his nature, his unchangeable nature. We got to stop basing our faith on the landscape and start basing our faith on the road names. Everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. Man, we are in a season of miracles. If you are in need of a miracle this morning, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand right now. Man, yes. God, the fifth time, the sixth time, the seventh time. God, I don't know what this is, Lord. In the name of Jesus, by your blood shed on the cross for us, Lord, you have granted us access to be ambassadors for your kingdom. And in the name of Jesus, whatever the miracle is that they need in their lives, in the name of Jesus, I command it over them. God, I command blessing over them, Lord. You've given us authority here on this earth, and in the name of Jesus, I release it. God, we love you so much, Lord. And as we go throughout this week, help us to lean into who you are, your beautiful, wonderful, majestic presence, God, your glorious presence, God. And Lord, if you don't do another miracle, Lord, show us who you are. We love you so much, God, and we thank you for what you're doing in this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody, let's just give God a round of applause. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.